Hello, podcast listeners. It's Ash Goodwin here, the founder and director of Ardor Talent. We are a product, data, design, marketing, and tech recruitment business based in London. And welcome to the Prog Series. In episode one of the Prog Series, I had James Lund on board and we discussed product strategy. And we actually hit 60th in the charts in the uh, tech podcast charts. Now, that's a huge achievement considering it's, it's episode one. And we were actually ahead of MIT and we were only 17 behind Elon Musk. So thanks to everyone who tuned in to that podcast. Um, I'm hoping you took something away from it. And I, yeah, I really enjoyed hosting it. Um, in episode two, I've got the head of products from Cudini, Robert Drury here. And we are going to discuss product developments. I hope you all enjoy the podcast. Hit like, comment, subscribe, um, do the usual bits for the podcast. All your support is appreciated. And I'm hoping you take something away from this podcast. So I'm delighted to welcome my next guest, Robert Drury from Cudini. Welcome to the podcast, Rob. Thanks for having me, Ash. My, my, my pleasure. Um, yeah, just give me an intro to yourself, Rob, sort of your background, who you are, so the listeners can uh, learn more about you. Yeah, sure. So I am the head of product at the London-based kind of retail software business, Cudini. Um, I started out in the, the software product world back in about 2000, helping kind of corporate clients get the most out of their first recruitment software and then fundraising software and e-commerce. Um, and then eventually headed up my first product team about six or seven years ago uh, with a London-based startup working in the fintech area, supporting small businesses get to grip with, with their financial risks. But then since moving to Cudini a couple of years ago, I've been working with a, a product that kind of supports large retailers with their operations, which um, includes everything from managing and planning customer interactions to kind of tracking tasks and communications. Uh, so that's with people like O2 and Samsung and NatWest. So some, some big name brands that people will recognize on the high street. Fantastic. So um, just to, again, go back a little bit. So have you always worked for startups or has it been kind of a mixed um, career? So, yeah, Cudini, when I joined, were you know, kind of verging on that end of startup going into scale up stage. They'd been in existence for four and a bit years and had been quite successful, but were looking for how do we take the business on to the next level? Before that, yeah, it was an absolute uh, from the, the ground up startup. Um, but then before that, yeah, they were, they were relatively established businesses um, looking at a variety of different things. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, thanks for the background on yourself, Rob. Um, one, I had a conversation with somebody, um, a head of product who I interviewed recently, and he said basically that he targeted startups to progress in his career faster. Was that kind of what your tact was or was that just something which you kind of just not fell into, but you just preferred the way of working? Kind of what was the, the thinking there? Yeah. So I, d I didn't have a major career plan in my head and um, I kind of worked around the, all of the different software products for four other people and supporting people, but actually heading up my first product team was which came out of the blue really i was happily going about my own business uh in in my job and a former managing director that i'd worked with phoned me up and said i'm starting a team and i want you to come and head up this part of the business for me can you come here and develop this product 
Um, so that was really the, the first startup that I got into, which is because I, I had kind of a network of people that I worked with. So we joined, we, we grew that team from people within our little black books. <laughs> <laughs> Who which, do we need to, in order to deliver this, this startup and the things <laughs> that we want to do? So you flick through your little black book, find some people and away you go. Um, but then once I kind of got into that world, yeah, I think that the, the person you spoke to before was right. You, you do kind of progress quite quickly because you have to wear lots of hats and you have to try lots of things. Uh, which means you get experienced in all sorts of parts of the product management world. Yeah, I mean, the, the way your MD and you had did that kind of historically so from a recruiting aspect is absolutely the right way to do it, especially from a startup, going through your black book, getting all the sort of the relevant people that you need and people you can trust, because that's essentially what he's doing is giving you a call. He knows you, he trusts you. And I think it's good for people to to listen to this and actually understand as long as you're doing a good job in the company you're, you're working at, um, you never know what contacts you're going to make and where that's going to lead in, in the future. And then obviously yeah, leading absolutely. On, then leading on from like the startup thing, I think that's something which I'm seeing a lot of um, younger people doing, sort of getting head of product roles at sort of mid to late 20s is, is quite incredible, but it's becoming something which is happening more and more often. Um, Perfect. Okay. Yeah, Rob. So we're here today to talk about product development. Um, as, as obviously we've discussed um, in the calls prior to, the, to this podcast. Um, let's, let's talk about kind of product development, like what is actually product development, just for, for the listeners to uh, understand um, what it actually is. Yeah, yeah. So product development is kind of all of the work involved in figuring out what the product should do and then making sure that you can deliver on that vision. So that could be all the way from listening to existing customers about how they're using your product, um, things that they might find frustrating with it or uh, good about it, and then making adjustments as necessary. Or it could be kind of looking into the future for what potential target customers will need and developing products effectively from scratch that meet that future need. So it could, yeah, it, it could be, yeah, list research and getting feedback. There's planning involved, there's design, there is the development element of things as well as testing and then actually being able to launch the things that you've built. To me and for us at Qdini, product development covers all of that. Um, it is effectively why we exist as a business. Perfect. So just leading on from that, then, can you just talk me through kind of what a standardized process is um, for product development? Yeah, so you you have, uh, I'm going to approach this in two ways, because there are, there's developing an existing product and improving that and making that better. And there's also effectively developing a new product and they are slightly different although they do follow similar steps so for for us at Qdini we uh, have lots of enterprise clients who are using our software every day to see we have something like 45,000 users registered on our system to utilize uh, the, our software we know what those guys are doing we can monitor them we get data on the things that they're doing and we can go out to these people and ask them questions so arrange to go and 
talk to the staff member within a high street retailer and watch them use our software and our product in front of customers and talk to them about how they utilize that and learn where they have frustrations, where they have uh, kind of positive experiences and where there are other areas of their business that ultimately could tie into what we offer within our product. So we can then take all of that feedback and put it into, well, we, we have a, a feature request list, which is a giant list of everything that everybody's ever given us as feedback on our product, which is absolutely huge. <laughs> I um, can imagine. Um, I describe it sometimes as like a, a warehouse of ideas. And the important thing for the product team to do is to take those bits of feedback and those ideas and be able to assess them and categorize them in a certain way so that at the point in time when you look, what are we going to do next? You can find the right ideas that are going to do the right things for you. Um, we take that idea and turn it into something that a member of our engineering team or our design team can then do something with. So we give them information about why the user wants to do this thing, what the experience is. We could give them, I don't know, user flow diagrams if it's a multi-step process to show them this is what we want to happen. We give them uh, data if it's appropriate. This is what we need to get out of this at the end. We need this thing to be at this level. Um, and it's kind of all the information that our engineering team can then take and say, okay, well, in order to deliver all of these results, this is what we're gonna need to do as an engineering team to do and deliver that. Um, our engineering team are very experienced in that. So we work with, we've broken our one engineering team down into three and each of our engineering teams has front-end engineers, back-end engineers, QA, um, and we have the product and the kind of DevOps type uh, roles kind of get shared across the teams um, just because of the scale of the business that we are at the moment. Yeah. And we or a team to deliver on their goals, um, but they are ultimately responsible for getting that new thing that we've said we want to do uh, into the product and out of the door, delivering the value that we've stated at the start. Um, so that's what we kind of see as that product development process for something that already exists. Where that varies slightly for uh, new products is, you sometimes you're talking on a much bigger scale and you're talking to a completely different audience and you're thinking and taking in maybe more inputs than you would do on your existing product so we've been looking this year at ways that we can expand the product range that we have at qdini into an area that we haven't typically been associated with so now we have to go out and do more analysis of competitors in that market and 
talk to different people within our client organizations to to find out how they approach things because it's it's a brand new thing for us but ultimately by the by a certain point it still ends up in the same process for the delivery through the design and engineering and testing and launching phases there's everything else it's just that maybe the inputs are a little bit different fantastic thanks for that rob just going back to sort of the enterprise clients so sort of developing the existing products with with obviously you having multiple different customers and obviously 45,000 users which is is huge do you have to kind of tailor the enhancements to an individual sort of business partner if you've got kind of like a large-scale business partner or do you kind of do it across the board kind of what's right overall for the products just to kind of dig a bit deeper into into that yeah that's a it's a very good question and it's a very fine line we have to tread within <laughs> the product management team because yeah we have a, a team of salespeople and account managers who are out there dealing with the clients and and their role is to bring business in and to make clients happy and they will have conversations and say and the client will say well I want it to do this um, and that's all well and good but as you point out yeah we have multiple clients that we all need to keep happy and maybe what they're asking doesn't fit with something else it's the, it's the yeah one client wants something to be red and the other client wants something to be blue they can't be both red and blue and here in the product team we have to kind of tread that line and figure out what is the going to deliver the most value to our clients and for us as a business is it making it red is it making it blue or is it making it purple <laughs> yeah. you've got to kind of tread that line um so we always try to do something that will benefit more than one client um, which is a challenge to do when you've got some of the big name brands that we do with and they stand up and say we want it to do this it is sometimes a challenge to push back and say well is it okay that we can do it like this because yeah. this delivers you the same result um, but it allows us to do this other thing over here um, it's an it's an interesting discussion and we've got as a business we have definitely grown over the last two years from where we were then when yeah as a many startups I think they they listen to the client with the most clout and and rightly so they're worried about income and things like that and they bring they don't want to annoy the this big client so they'll say yes and then figure the other stuff out but it gets to a point in a startup's life where they start going from that startup phase to the scale up and you can't just keep saying yes you have to sometimes say hang on a minute and sometimes you have to say no um, and it's about the business being on board with that so that it isn't just uh, me as the, the head of product saying no we're not going to deliver that in a product we as a business have agreed an approach for handling this situation so it ideally doesn't happen in the first place because you have a client who's having conversations with salespeople and uh, account people and those people are also kind of the product managers in a, in a certain way they are looking after our software products 
at that very point. Um, I do talk inside the business of, you know what, we are all responsible for this product. It isn't just me because I'm the head of product. I'm not just the only guy who gets to make all of these decisions and look after this thing. We all have to do it because if we don't, then the business isn't going to succeed. Absolutely. I think that if you have that approach, surely it's collaborative and everyone's pulling in the same direction, which should mean that you keep creating sort of better enhancements and better products moving forward because you're probably collating better data from the customers if everyone's bought in. Is Would, would that be fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And having yeah everybody on the same page in all of the discussions that uh, happen and it is so it makes life so much easier for the business. Yes. So Rob, to just test that, have you ever had a, an example of where a client has asked for an enhancement? You've kind of obviously um, said, said no, but it, the company's kind of gone ahead with it anyway, or they've kind of kicked back with actually, no, we want this happening or we kind of won't continue with the business. I mean, how, how do you manage a situation like that? Yeah. Um, that that does happen and and in in reality the thing, the way you handle it is you get all of the people involved in a room to talk things through so that you can everybody can see clearly the impact of certain decisions on their bit of the business um so uh, earlier this year we were looking at so we try and plan a couple of quarters in advance of what the key features are that we're going to be delivering um and as we were coming into 2019 we planned what was going to be happening and then we had a client who said a potential client actually we will come to your business and use you if you can deliver this feature by the this date which meant that we had to have a conversation inside our business so this is everybody from the CEO and the CTO and the commercial director and myself kind of, okay, well, that means we have to throw out all of these other plans. What is it that we're, what's the impact of all of this? And once everybody lays their cards on a table and goes, well, if we don't get this uh, feature in time, then this client will go away and the likely impact is X on the business. You can then look at that against, yes, but if we do do this feature, that means for the next quarter, we're going to be doing this thing and not that thing. And the impact is this other uh, result. You can then talk that out amongst yourselves um, and see ultimately what is the best thing for the business going forwards. And you have to then be honest and then make the decision and stand up for that decision and deal with all of the things that come out of it. So in that case, yeah, we we rearranged what was going to be happening in, in Q1 in 2019 to deliver this key feature, which was fine. We're set up as a business to be able to adjust ourselves and deliver things quickly uh, for these reasons. Stuff happens. Um, clients come and clients go and they don't all want the same things. You've got to be able to adapt to these uh, things. So that's why you put in places, place the steps to address it. And 
the framework in which you deliver things allows you to do that. Um, so yeah, look, luckily in that case, it turned out we delivered the feature um, in a way that we have been able to utilize it for other clients. Um, and we managed to deliver it on time. So everybody was happy, apart from the people who'd been pushing for the bit of work that, <laughs> that got bumped on the roadmap. But um, yeah. yeah, that's just what happens, I'm afraid. Sometimes you have to suck it up. <laughs> yeah. And it's great that you're kind of working in that dynamic environment where you can make this stuff happen as well. I think that's it's really important. Um, I, I guess when you spend more so dealing with enterprise kind of B2B clients that actually you can amend your roadmap, everyone's on board and kind of just, just get on with it. I think it's quite quite good, that type of environment as well. Just just leading on from this then, um, and obviously talking about kind of new product development and, and sort of existing product development, when should product development actually happen? Is it a continuous thing or do you have it set out in the year as to kind of when you actually look at when you're looking to make enhancements or like how do you actually determine those decisions as to when it actually happens? Yeah, so, so for us, product development is continuous. We are forever doing steps of this process and adjusting our development process. So as a, as a business, we will set um, overall uh, objectives, strategic objectives. So we know as a business where we want to be this time next year and the year after that and the year after that. So we've got this long-term vision of where the business wants to be. And then we work back from that to deliver, well, that means this for, I don't know, let's start, for 2020, we know that we think that in order to deliver on this bigger goal and this bigger vision, we need to develop our product in these key areas. And then we are structured to have quarterly uh, key results that focus us to what is going to happen in this quarter that allows us to meet this kind of annual goal which allow us to hit this strategic objective um, so we will meet as a senior management team to review our roadmap to review our current state of play and go well yes we've said we're going to build feature x in this quarter and that's still valid so we will do that and that allows us to effectively break down our work within the quarter um, and uh, deliver those elements we typically have at that quarter level we have an idea of what the feature might be so we have individual kind of pages within a, a, a an online document that says this is the feature it tells us all about why we're doing it what we think it's going to uh, make a difference with how we need to go about it all the things that we've made with our assumptions that uh, kind of uh, inform our decision making and then broken down into these are the individual elements that will need to be de delivered in order to deliver on this ultimate feature and we might end up with i don't know 20 different elements of this one feature and our job from there is to take those 20 different elements and work with the engineering team and the design team to figure out well okay how is that going to work 
and how long do we think that's going to take? So we'll get an estimate of the the big feature and well it's going to take us so we work in two week sprints for our activities and then you might tell us well it'll take us uh, four sprints to do this five sprints six sprints so we can then kind of plan our time out based on that um, and the closer we get in time to the current the more detailed everything is so we'll take okay we'll take those 20 things and we'll line them out in the right order um, and we'll drill into the detail for the next two or three sprints so that we're very clear on what's happening in the next two or three sprints. But what we'll be doing is we'll be looking ahead and saying, OK, well, given that the timeframes that we've got, do we need to make adjustments to what this fit overall feature will do? We've said we want to try and do these 20 things, but in reality, are we going to be able to deliver these 20 things as we kind of get into the nitty gritty of delivering it um, and we make adjustments on all of that so yeah as as a business yeah we're we're structured to make these flexible changes and look out into the long term and bring these things closer and closer to home and the closer you are the more detail you get so that you can then kind of get really informed of what it is that you're going to be delivering it sounds like a really strong setup and a really kind of professional setup um is is this common that companies kind of work how how you guys do or is is this like how you've always worked in your in your career or is it completely different again just uh from your career history i think in it does vary from organization to organization and um as as qdini has grown as a business we've grown into this I can't say that we've always done this for the seven years that QDini has been in existence. Um, a lot of it has come about over the, the, the last couple of years because the way that many startups work is they start with this vision and then they're very reactive to what is happening. They don't necessarily think five years into the future because they're just starting out and five years seems a very long way away to somebody who's just starting out. Um, but as you grow and become kind of a little bit older and wiser as a business and you become a bit more confident in yourself and your product and where you're going, you start to look a little bit further in advance and then you can start doing this. But yeah, even, even the, the startups will be looking in this, in, uh, in this kind of a way and maybe not looking five years into the future, like that we are but they might look a year into the future and say this is where we want to be next year and they still might then break it down into the quarters and then tighten it up the closer they are that they're doing but there might be a lot more flexibility of what it is that they do because yeah their place in the market is a little bit unsure when you're starting out whereas yeah the qdini business now um, knows where it fits in the marketplace and has been quite successful at doing that um, so it's you feel more confident making those decisions about things that happen in the future. Yeah, it's fascinating kind of the structure which you've got in place and it, it looks to be a really strong one. And it's interesting to know, obviously, the differences start up kind of, I guess, QDini who've been around for seven years and probably all the way to big, big companies where they might have kind of a longer term plan, a bit like what you you have now with, with kind of the more five year plan. 
Um, I think it's I think it's fantastic um, that structure, Rob. And um, just moving on to the next phase, and it's kind of going back a little bit to something you kind of we we briefly spoke about about kind of customers. Um, when you're gathering feedback, what wh- why is the customer feedback so important? And I guess not how do you use that use that information because obviously you kind of touched on that with the enhancements, but is it? Yeah, but what is it about gathering feedback from the customers which makes kind of um, your job easier, should we, should we say? Because I think that I've spoken to a lot of people in products and some people, some product managers don't actually go out and see the customers or don't actually have that kind of grip on what, what the customer actually is you, like using their, uh, how they're using their product. Uh, more so in the B2B space rather than B2C with some companies that I've kind of worked with or people that I've spoken to. So what is it about the gathering feedback piece which is really important to, to the business? Um, for us, ultimately, we can't see it, uh, uh, what is happening within our customers' organization just by looking at the metrics on our application. We can't understand so all of the things that our, our users go through on a day-to-day basis. So where QDini fits in is in that kind of store operational space it could be that we're supporting a retailer on the shop floor and you'll see that if you go into some high streets where you uh, enter the store and you get greeted by a host who says hi how can i help you today oh you want to talk to a uh, an advisor about x let me just put you in our virtual queue and they sign you up and okay somebody will be with you in about five minutes because they know how long it it is until that person is served in the queue. That's kind of the space that we fit in. There's more to it than that, obviously, but that's one area. And we can see what the host is doing on our application. They're inputting some data. And then we can see um, kind of, we can provide some really important data to the business about that. Um, But what we can't see is, what else is happening within that retail environment that the host is having to deal with? And if we just look at what he's doing in the application, he's clicked on this, he's clicked on that, they've now done this thing, we'll get one view. Um, But if we stand there and watch them, we'll get another view. And then if we stop them and ask them other questions, then we'll get even more information. And where where we want to take our product is to make our product more valuable to that user. And yes, we will learn things about which things they click on and how quickly they do things. It would be quicker if we removed that button and did something else because we've saved them two clicks. That's straightforward stuff. But we need to understand, well, that host isn't just interacting with a customer who's walked through the door and added them to a queue and then ushered them over to speak to an advisor and their job is done. They're doing other things inside that business. So is there are there opportunities for, for us within the same application to provide other tools for that host to use Qdini, which makes us more valuable. And you can only do that by getting out there standing in front of these people, watching what they do and talking to them about their day-to-day jobs. 
um, yeah, if we only focused on what they did on our product, then we'd, well, in, in reality, we'd probably still be just a queue management uh, application because that's how QDini started adding people to queues and uh, getting them processed. But we've developed over time to have now different arms because we've gone out and understood the businesses that we work with. Perfect. Okay. Just, I guess with that in mind then, Rob, can you talk me through kind of a, a, your, I guess, some successes or a success of, of product development where you've actually taken the feedback and enhanced or developed or I guess changed the product along the way? Yeah, so actually uh, uh, carrying on from that, kind of the only way we yeah, we've, we've, we find out about what happens in a, in a business is getting in there and they're inside a retail organisation. Um, there are many things that happen that do not involve an interaction with a customer, whether that is um, restocking shelves or undertaking health and safety training, all of those kind of things that have to happen in order to keep the operation going. Um, filling in training forms, making sure that new starters are there on time, clearing the, the stock room, changing the window display from the October campaign, advertising campaign to the November ca advertising campaign. All of those things are done by people on the shop floor um, and they do not involve a customer interaction. So uh, Cudini has been looking over the last year at ways that we can support that. And in the latest release of our product that's going out in about uh, the middle of November, uh, there will be our beta version of effectively a store operational task management tool that will allow those retailers to kind of keep a track of all of those other things that happen within their retail environment. Um, it, for us, it's a huge uh, step on because it's, it's, a, it's that step outside of where we've done lots of customer related things. Now we're into the operational world. But for our clients, it becomes, well, now this one thing keeps a track of all of the customers I've got in the inside my store and all of the other things that are happening. And that is a huge thing for us. So we had um, a very large telco company inside our office on Tuesday this week where they got ran through the, the demo of this. Absolutely loved it. Um, they loved the, the fact that not only could you in the retail environment kind of add things to your task list so the the store manager could add a task for the host to do what they really loved was because we'd understood how the retailers work we've gone and spoken to people in the retailers head office about how they ultimately passed down tasks from a central location to all of their stores so imagine if you are the marketing manager of large high street retailer with 800 stores across the uk and you want every single one of them to change their window display from october's window display to november's window display and tell you when they've done it and be able to prove that they've done it <laughs> um, that is is kind of 
that's the way that our task management application is going. And to be able to see on our clients' faces, oh my God, all of these emails that I send out and all of the phone calls that I have to do to chase people up, it's all going to disappear. Um, that, that to me is a real success as a product person because you can see on their face the impact that they know it's going to have on their business. Absolutely. I mean, it also helps with the communication aspects because, I mean, I, I worked in retail when I was, I think about 12 or 13 years ago now. And there's, there seemed to be a distinct lack of, I don't say communication from the head office to kind of the people, I guess, on the on the shop floors. But there, there was kind of, yeah, I guess it was a, it, is a, it is a lack of communication, isn't it? I think that people get messages sent down to them, but then actually don't have an understanding of what's actually been done with that message. Has it actually been actioned? Has it just been deleted? I mean, with essentially what you're suggesting, they have to kind of reply back to the, the, the notification to basically say it's been completed. Do they have to like take a picture to provide evidence or is it literally just... Hit it, hit it on the um, on the piece of on, on the product you've created. Hit complete, and that, and that's it. And then it goes back to the central location. Is is that correct, or have I got that wrong? No, you, you're absolutely right. Yeah, you they they will sit there and go, yes, everybody change your window displays, and they will assign <laughs> it to all of the 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 stores that they need to, all 800, and the, each of those stores will get that within their Qdini application. They'll be able to see it. When it's scheduled for the right day, they'll be able to look at it, see all of the instructions. They'll be able to click on links that open and see what they've got to do. And then they'll be able to say, right, I now going to complete this and it will prompt them, take a picture. And the person in the head office will be able to look at that one thing that they've asked these 800 people to do and see the progress from each of those 800 people. They'll see who's still outstanding, who's who hasn't done it. Um, who has done it and be able to see the proof that these things have happened, which yeah, is a major leap forward for the way that some of these organizations operate. And that's something that, yeah, we couldn't figure out if we didn't go and talk to our clients <laughs> and try and yeah. understand their business. Which is a huge success in itself. And the fact that the company's come in and said they really like it, I'm sure there's going to be teething problems like in, in, in any kind of release, but it sounds like that's that's going to be massive for, for your business. So um, I wish you the best of luck with that product release in uh, a week or two's time. Uh, let me know how, how you get on with that. Um, likewise, I don't like using the word failure, but what kind of lessons have you learned when things maybe haven't gone so right with kind of product developments with the feedback which you're taking from the customers and, and and what do you actually do when it doesn't go right how do you then put it right yeah there's anybody who tells you that there is no failure in their business is absolutely lying because i'm pretty sure that there are, every single business has these problems um ones that kind of impact the world of product um i've I, I've I've kind of been guilty myself of of li listening to you know the opinion of the highest paid person in the room. You sit in a meeting and you've got lots of people lined up, and the CEO walks in, and everybody's planning whatsoever. And the CEO comes in and says, "Well, this is what we're going to do," and we end up doing the thing that the CEO says, even though you know. Well, we normally go and research these things and we need to go and ask some customers. Um, we don't. We listen to what the CEO says because they're the boss. And ultimately, 
sometimes the CEO is right. I better say that. Um, <laughs> they are in their position because they know a lot of things, but they're not always right. Um, and as a business, yeah, we've learned, and I think in, in, in multiple businesses, so this is not just QD, in multiple businesses, we've all learned that you, if you have a solid process about how you decide how your product is going to develop, that can help give a little bit of pushback when the, the highest paid person comes in and gives a really strong opinion because everybody's following a process and you can go back to them and say, yeah, but we'll take that and we'll go and test it in the way that we go and test every single idea that we do and then we'll be able to prove it with data that this is the right thing to do. Interesting. I think you're, I <laughs> Sorry. Think you're, I think you're completely, um, completely right. I mean, I think we've all worked for a company where the CEO kind of comes in, says something, and it it is what it is, whether it's right or not. Um, I've always been one, Rob, to voice my opinion. Um, I've, always, I've always thought if I, if I think I can make the company better or which is a better solution, I've always kind of rather voice. And I think most CEOs out there, really good CEOs anyway, um, appreciate that because the reality is they're hiring great people to help reach strategic goals and help make the company better. I think if somebody kind of comes in and doesn't operate like that from a CEO level, don't, doesn't understand that they work, like they work for everyone in the office, then probably shouldn't be a CEO, to, to, to be frank. And from, from, I know you haven't finished your story yet, but I think that it's a really interesting point already that you're making. Um, I'm hoping you have a good ending to this. So I imagine that if, <laughs> if, if something's happened, I, did, essentially, did you just put it right and, and kind of use that as a lesson learned or kind of what, what, how did that progress? Yeah, you do. And you, you, you learn as a business that actually the process um, is important and it doesn't matter what role you are in within the organization the process does matter and you can't necessarily just circumvent it so it's been important for the businesses that i've been in to be able to put in place regular checkpoints with people in order to ensure that the priorities of the things that we're delivering meet the wider business goals so i was talking earlier about kind of that strategic stuff and the, the the key results and all of that that plays a part in this because if the ceo comes in and says something this is what we need to do and it isn't matching with something that's on the goals that everybody's agreed to follow then you have something to support you going back and raising your concerns about doing these things if you have regular checkpoints with uh, people who can direct the business then you can check are the things that we are doing still the right things to be doing um, so nothing kind of gets pushed through just on the voice of one person um, and that's important um, for the business to succeed you can't necessarily well well once you get to a certain point in your in your business's life lifetime you can't just succeed on the voice of one person you've got to have a consensus and agreement for everybody to be pulling in the same direction 
Um, and luckily in the last few businesses that I've been in, we have that. Um, but sometimes you, you only have that after you've learned the lesson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think my, my experience in, in this area was, I think in one of the companies I worked for, an idea was put forward. I believed I had a better idea. Um, I wasn't sure it was being slightly arrogant or whether it actually was, it was, was a better idea, whether it was just a better idea, but I, I really believed it. So what I did was kind of went and got some data, put together a case study and proved why it was the better idea. And, and we actually ended up kind of releasing that across the business rather than what the, basically the CEO said. So, but, but in order for me to yeah. do that, I, I guess the, the, the case in point here is if somebody's stuck at work and they're in a position maybe where they might have a better idea, but they can't speak up or they need to actually think, well, actually, I think this is a better idea, but let me go and do a bit of work to find out how we could actually implement this and whether it actually is the better idea. Um, it's to basically go do some research, get get some data, get execute it on a very small scale, then take that study to the relevant person and say, well, actually, I appreciate you want to do this, but have you thought about doing this? And this is what I've done on a small scale. If we did it on a bigger scale, the result, results could be kind of this. Um, would, would you agree that would be a pretty good approach or have you got any, any, any additional approaches which could which have worked for you in, in the past? Because I think yeah. this is an area which especially younger people in products and sales and just in life could probably benefit from from greatly. Yeah, I think I think that is the way to do it. And I think if you read a lot of the, the literature around product, it is around proving what you think. It is about having a hypothesis, going out and finding the results of that and basing decisions on data, not opinion. The, the kind of the other side to this, which is a little bit not necessarily product specific, but even in that environment where you do that, you still need to be working inside an organization that allows you to be able to speak up and you don't worry about speaking up. Um, it's uh, it's an interesting area that uh, that, uh, that I've looked into a little bit and it's sometimes even though you have these good ideas and you can be able to back things up, people are wary about voicing their opinion because they're worried, wary of the kickback that they might get. You don't want to upset the boss. You don't want to come across and sound a little bit silly or argumentative or you might worry that, well, if I do this, what if they kick me out of my job or whatever you, um they, yeah <laughs> you need you need to be in an environment that um is supportive um and provides that kind of safety that you can voice your opinion and i think um although you'd think that was obvious there are many organizations that that isn't the case so i i was actually talking at an event uh, a week or so ago in front of a group of developers and I did a show of, I asked for a show of hands for how many people felt they worked in an environment that had that it's called psychological safety they felt safe enough to be able to say what they felt and what they thought without worrying about any particular impact upon themselves and I was uh, surprised that only half the room put their hands up so that means 50% of the attendees at this event thought that they worked in a business where they couldn't actually 
do the pushback that we're talking about and push back against the boss and say, do you know what? I think I've got this idea that we'll be able to do this and it goes against what you've said, but here you go, here's my idea. And they still feel uncomfortable with it. Um, and that is that's quite a surprising thing. That is surprising. Um, I mean, 50% of the room. Yeah, and it, it means that the not just the the product team but the business as a whole needs to be able to to do things that allow that to happen um and yeah i think in in many of the the startup cultures and quite a lot in software development a lot of the smaller software development companies anyway that especially that i've worked with or in do provide that uh that kind of that safety and that security so i know i know from experience that my engineering team are more than willing to stand up and tell me that my idea is wrong and this is why i'm wrong um which is good um but i also know that yeah there some organizations and maybe they are kind of some of the larger ones i'm kind of going to generalize a little bit um some of them where yeah maybe there's uh, some uncertainty about their people's futures and things that maybe they don't feel that they can do that. And that is a challenge, but yeah. yeah I, I think that it can come, I guess, both sides. I guess some organizations could possibly do better to make people feel like they can speak up. But I know I also think that some people probably need to be confident in themselves enough to be to be actually able to speak up because they might have great ideas which will be well received by the business, but feel like they can't speak up because of, I guess of themselves with, with how they feel, or maybe they've only been in business for, for a short period of time. Um, we are going to move on to, to kind of hiring tips. And I guess this is one which I've always kind of lived by. And I guess it's a good interviewing tip for, for somebody. I've kind of always used examples. Like I, I do like to, to speak out. I, I think that I'm, I do it in a really positive way. If I find a problem I'll always think of a solution and then present the problem and the solution at the same time, rather than just creating a problem and yeah, making, yeah, sort of creating that negative environment. I've always kind of been the opposite to try to create the positive environment, but the reality is in any company you work for, even in Apple, Facebook, Google, whatever, there's always going to be things that people don't like about a company or that processes are wrong or, or whatever. And I've always kind of gone with the approach of, well, actually, this is who I am. And I will challenge you. I think that I, I, we could create a better solution as a business and it will benefit the business towards the strategic goals. So I guess from an interviewing tip perspective, if you're kind of that type of person, you're probably better off kind of creating a, a really good competency in an interview rather than getting into a company and then realizing actually the boss doesn't like it if I sort of voice my opinion, even though it's a really good, 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 good idea and I've done the case study and, and this that, and whatever because the reality is if that's who you are and that's kind of part of partly what's important to you and you move to a business you're going to leave that business in 6 12 18 months because you're not going to like the boss you're going to blame the boss when the reality was it's kind of you're semi-accountable for kind of not being fully truthful at interview stage yeah um and i think that's one thing which i've kind of always lived by and um if i guess hopefully it's added somebody to whoever's listening to this make sure you just just be yourself and speak your truth at interview stage um 
from an interviewing perspective, um, Rob, what's your what's your best interview tip for any person, especially in product, um, to obviously help them be successful at interview? Yeah, so I I think product is a very wide term. So product managers they come in all kind of shapes and sizes and different flavors, and they are not all created equal. So some product managers have come from a technical background. They were a developer. They enjoyed working with the, the figuring pr- things out, and then they enjoyed talking to clients. And maybe they've ended up in a product role. Some of them may have come from a UX or a UI pers- uh, role, and have designed things. And then by de facto, well, you've created all of this. Why don't you oversee this and make sure that it does all of these things? They've done that. Sometimes they've come from a project management background and have developed skills in that way. Um, And that's all fine. Most people don't start out as a pure product manager because um, I don't think necessarily it has been clearly defined what a product manager is. And I think if you go into many different businesses, those businesses will think different things of what a product manager should do. So I would be, if I'm going to be going into an interview, I want to be finding out what type of a product manager does this organization want to find. So that's looking at the kind of things that they are putting down in the job descriptions. Sometimes it might be about you need to be the, a data guru and then, well, that's fine. But if what you've done is design focused, are you actually going to be right for that role in the first place? You kind of got to match up where your skills are with the things that the organization will need. Just because you have the job title and the job title of what they're looking for is the same does not mean that you're definitely going to be the right kind of person for that organization. So take some time to try and find out about what flavor of product manager that they are really looking for and kind of find the opportunities where your skills will come across the best. Absolutely. I think that also sort of highlights self-awareness as well, of you being actually aware of the type of product manager that you are and the type of company and um, the flavor that you actually want to work with. Because I think that is, I mean, that's part of my job as a recruiter to actually find the relevant sort of background and skill set for the relevant business. But if you, even when you are discussing recruiters or going direct, it's really important to, like you said, Rob, understand kind of what the company is actually offering and what they're after and what you actually want. So you could be design focused, but you might want to go into a data role, which is fine. Um, but generally harder to get it if you haven't already done it. But it's also understanding that there's going to be a lot of challenges there and things might not be quite as comfortable or as enjoyable as what they have done initially. And I think it's sticking it out sticking it out as well because a lot of people, not just in product, but just in general, kind of will move somewhere for a new challenge and then leave again after six months to go back to what they were doing before, which is, again, fine in some respects if it makes you happy. But um, I guess if you're aware already of what you actually want and the type of company you want to work for, the environment, et cetera, then that, that's, that's huge. I imagine would that be your kind of hiring manager tip then as well to maybe explain the types of, just sort of how you, the type of product manager you're after or, or kind of what would be your best hiring tip for, sorry, interviewing tip from a manager's perspective? 
Yeah, that 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 is kind of around the the, the challenge that we get as as a as an organisation. People are applying to us, trying to find that right fit, and and that's my kind of my favourite question for asking potential product managers is around how do you measure the success of a product manager, which sounds like such a simple question, but then when you think about it, it's not that straightforward to answer. Um, if if you're a salesperson, you're hiring for a salesperson, you tell them, you ask them, right, tell me what your sales were last year. And they tell you, well, I did this and I did that. And then they can spout numbers at you and tell you the deals that they've done. And you go, well, you're a successful salesperson. Um, <laughs> Ironically, if you're, if you're, yeah, when I was hiring uh, recruiters for in, in my old company, I'd always ask them, do you like people? Um, rather than ask them about their numbers because it's a people-driven business. I, I don't. Yeah. You ask about certain bits and pieces, but I kind of never went down that route. I thought, well, I want the softer skills, which would be more important to me to mould. So yeah. do, you like, do you like people? And I remember this one person said, well, no, not really. I went, well, the job's probably not right for you, is it? Because it's a people-driven business. Yeah, true, true. Um, but when it, when it comes to yeah measuring the success of a product manager, how do you measure the success of a product manager? And the, the answer that the, the candidate would give will give you an idea of what flavor of product manager they are. If they start talking about, well, I managed to reduce this churn rate and I increased the conversion rate of this, then you know that there's somebody who's used to being driven by the numbers and making adjustments and tweaks to an existing product so that they can improve these things. Whereas if they start talking to you about this design, new product they designed over here that had all of these amazing things, then they've got a different flavor to them. Or if they start talking to you about um, how many user stories they've written and the fact that nobody ever pushes back on their user stories because they are written perfectly, then you know you've kind of got one of those product managers who's going to do that admin job in the middle and make sure that all of the stuff gets churned through. But you then start to question, well, did they do the research that fed into the user stories and all of that kind of thing? So, yeah, the answer to that will give you an idea of what the flavor of product manager is that's sitting opposite you. It's a really clever, a really clever uh, question, Rob. It's actually not one that I've heard um, before, which is quite strange because it's one which seems quite straightforward. But it's a really clever question uh, to to ask somebody. Um, I, I guess off the back of that, would would if they didn't give the answer that you kind of wanted, would you still continue the interview, or would that be interview kind of done there and 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 then or, unless you guess maybe saw the softer skills which you might be able to mould into it. I guess just so um the as i guess yeah, yeah it's not it's not it's not the be all and end all question fail this and you're out the door um because <laughs> yeah uh, like you say then the, the the softer skills are important and in a product role i mean you sit in in the middle of the business you sit kind of between all of the people who want to sell the product and might be using the product. So you've got customers, you've got salespeople, you've got accounts people, customer success people, all feeding stuff into you saying the product, it'd be great if the product did all of these things. And then you've got on the other side, the engineering team saying, right, what is it that we need to do? and Why do we need to do it? And you're the one who's kind of doing that translation bit from one thing to the other. I mean, literally, in my business, the product team does sit in the middle of the business. 
we are bang smack in the middle between those two groups of people, the techies and the non-techies, and where we are sitting right in the middle. And that means you've got to be a people person. You've got to be able to talk to the non-technical people about software products and all of that and understand the needs. And you have to go out and talk to a customer and listen to them talk about their business and all of the challenges that they have. And be able to listen to all of that and hear the right things. But then you've got to be able to convert that into something useful for the product and be able to communicate that to the engineering team who think of things in slightly different ways a lot of the time. And you've got to be able to kind of do that translation. So if even if they don't necessarily understand, get, get give an answer to that question, and in reality, there isn't a right answer to that question, um it's just a chance to get something out of them to give you an indication of the kind of skills that they might have there's still all of the other stuff around yeah the people skills that communication role that are probably more important than whether you're a data focused product manager a tech focused product manager a design focused product manager because a lot of the soft skills are quite difficult to learn. You either want to go and talk to people or you don't, like you've said. Um, whereas, yeah, if you don't know how to do data testing of a product feature, you, know you can go on YouTube, you can watch a video, and within a few hours, you'll be able to have your first go at it. Um, so, yeah. yeah. I guess that's that's like anything in the world now, isn't it? A, a little Google or a YouTube can uh, can help yeah. you achieve achieve almost anything. Um, well, I, I guess if some, you're going to you're a product manager listening to this, who's going to go to, for an interview with Rob in the future, make sure you've got that sort of <laughs> answer prepared to that question, and you and you've thought about all those points. Because I think it was really insightful, Rob, and I'm, I'm really great. Um, and yeah, thank you so much for your time today to discuss product development. You're, you've been fantastic, really insightful. And I know that you've added a lot of value to um, people in the, in, in the product world by kind of sharing your knowledge. So, so thanks for your time today, Rob. Great. It's been, it's been lovely to talk to you, Ash. Thank you.